Hello and welcome to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. I am Zach Faulkner Barfield, and alongside me once again is the delightful, the debonair, the dapper, Mr. James Marwood. Thank you very much, Zach. How are you? I'm very well indeed, sir. We're live from the Pistachio Palace again. Indeed, fantastic, and very well caffeinated. And very well caffeinated, yes. We shall tell you more about our caffeination shortly. This is episode 37, November. Politics Month on the Perfect Gentleman podcast. This week we're going to talk a little bit about networking like a politician. Mm, yes, important. We shall do little reviews. We have some caffeinated tea reviews, some lovely new teas, mm. some socks. And then we're going to talk the devil's trousers. Mm, yes. But we'll come on to that in a moment. <laughs> yes, the devil's trousers. So, networking like a politician. Zach, you're a fantastic networker. You know many, many people, and I've seen you do the networking thing that I struggle with. How do you go about doing it? Well, it's interesting. Story first. I met a lovely chap whose name's Ned Temko. Ned, he's a political journalist, American. He was editor of a, quite a well-known newspaper here in the UK, and I think he's still a political journalist uh, occasionally for um, a major UK newspaper. And he tells a great story about Bill Clinton mm -hmm. before he was uh, the president and he was governor of... Uh, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. He would tour the state, as you would do when you were governor of the state, and when he was running for office the first time. And he would go around and he'd meet everyone and do the things and he'd shake hands. And he'd remember to ask questions like what their names were, you know, the basic politician great questions. Uh, the story goes, and it, this is more than one person has commented on this, that four years later when he went back round to do the governorship and he toured the country again, no aide by his side telling him what in his ear what to do, he would remember everyone's name that he'd met four Fantastic. years ago, remember that they had kids and all that sort of stuff. And Ned told the story, but he said, it's true because I saw him once and then I met him two years later. And he remembered my name and he remembered that I was the editor of this paper and he remembered my kid and the little details. And he made people feel special and remembered. Mm -hmm. So the trick is to make people feel special. Yes. It's interesting you say that because not a politician, but quite a few years ago, a friend of mine worked for City Taverns, who have a number of pubs around the city of London. And I met their chief exec, whose name I can't remember, which is ironic given the story. So I was introduced at a Christmas party. And then around eight, nine months later, I was sat in one of their pubs having lunch. And he came in and he went, oh, James, how are you? This was a guy who'd been introduced to me for sort of 10 minutes, nine months previously, and yet he remembered me like that. Fantastic skill. Oh, it's amazing skill. Politicians are very good at it. Politicians have to be. They have to be, remember you, remember them, because you need to feel special and you need to vote for them. Networking skills are quite interesting, and I think the chief networking skill is to make it memorable for you. The thing is not actually to be, oh, I've got to remember this person's name, because that's a challenge. You'll then put pressure on yourself to do it. And there's loads of people that say, well, you should say their name three times because that imbibes the memory. Well, actually, what you need to do is remember something about that person and associate it with them. Sure. So, for example, we met in a party or something like that, and someone introduced you, this is James, this is Zach. That's a really interesting suit you're wearing, James. Tell me about it. Or, and then the back of your mind, you need to go, James, tweed suit, Joe Bloggs' party. And that sticks. And then you just remember that. Yeah. And that becomes the important and pertinent sure. point. You're sort of setting triggers for yourself. Exactly. And it's generally because we tend to remember things visually. So all the memory tricks mm -hmm. that people could taught her about visual journeys. So you tend to like to think about emotions and visual. Those are the two okay. things that trigger memories for us. So if you can put a visual to that person and an emotion to that person, 
then you'll will remember their name and remember sure. details about them. And names are difficult. I mean, I'm I'm quite bad sometimes. I meet a lot and lot of people, and sometimes I'm not capable of remembering everyone's name. I can remember them, and I will generally remember where I met them and what mm-hmm. we talked about, even if I've forgotten mm. their name for that moment in time. That's something I find as well, going into a new company, meeting new clients. I struggle quite often with names, so one of the things I always do, because I tend to meet people in a meeting setting, is I normally draw a little map of the table, mark out the chairs, and then write the names around that. So I can remember someone by where they were sat relative to my position. And I say, okay, so that was that was Sue there, that was Mary there, that was Jane there. And I can remember by the position then what they looked like. I can check my notes for what their name was. And then normally I'll add in something around their role or their position or, or what have you. Yeah, absolutely. It's always greet people, always greet people well. That's the start of it is work the room, as they say, is shake hands, introduce yourself, say hello. If you need to start conversations, small talk is important. Mm-hmm. People need to do icebreakers. Yeah. In different countries, there's different icebreakers. We're in the UK. The typical icebreaker in the UK is weather. Yes. This is the universal icebreaker in the UK. There's yes. Different countries have different universal icebreakers. And you can always start a conversation with any person in Britain by mentioning the weather. It's unseasonably warm. It's unseasonably cold. It's raining. Something about the weather will always start a conversation going. Different countries have different things. Americans tend to be very blunt. They'll ask you what you do. British people don't tend to like that, but Americans tend to want to know what you do and where you're from and that kind of thing. Different countries have different icebreakers. My favourite one is Singapore's is restaurants, food. They talk about food a lot. That works for us. It works for us, exactly, as, as we well know. Where did you, you know, they'll talk about food or a restaurant they've been to. So that's always a good starting opening conversation. But people then find that quite difficult. It runs out of steam. Yes. So my trick is always to ask people about where was the last place they visited or went on holiday. Generally, I ask for holidays. It generally will imbibe a memory, positive or negative. If you had a great holiday, it'll be a great memory. If it's a bad holiday, you'll generally have a story. Mm -hmm. So you just ask people about their holidays because also it makes them remember them and makes them smile, makes them think about it. Nine times out of ten, if they've had a really bad holiday, they'll tell you a story. You can empathize and sympathize. Oh, gosh, the hotel was awful. Oh, that's really horrible. What hotel was it? So I don't go again. And you have a series of conversations that you can keep up with. One thing I was taught, which is a bit of a a sneaky management consultant's trick, and I think I may have mentioned it before, uh, when this is maybe more if you're meeting a group than is if you apologize for something which is beyond your control and obviously beyond your control, people tend to trust you a little bit more. Yes. So when I'm meeting a new group, often I will apologize for something like the traffic or the weather or the fact that the room we've been given isn't great. It's a little bit of a sneaky trick, but it does work, and it works quite well to quickly build trust with people. Groups of people are slightly different to -to one-to-ones or networking situations. Groups of people require different sets of triggers Mm -hmm. for people. But the basic bottom line is people will always remember how you made them feel. We've talked about this before in other podcasts. And it's a sort of central theme of A, the perfect gentleman and all our teachings is it people will remember how you made them feel all the time. Whether it's a group or an individual, you just have to make sure that you make people feel good. Mm-hmm. And as the fundamental principle of the perfect gentleman and, and being a gentleman is to make others feel at ease, it should be part of your DNA as a gentleman. Indeed. And then sometimes to work a room correctly if you really want to work a room, is to find the person that you want to meet the most, is, is go up and say hello. It's almost like building that relationship, that date mm-hmm. we talk about, yeah. is go up and introduce yourself and say hello and be honest. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to speak to you. I wanted to meet you. I would like to speak to you about X or Y or Z. Don't tend to start the conversation there and then about X or Y or Z. 
but go off on a tangent. Go ask them about the holiday or ask them about the event. Don't talk about the core subject you want to talk to them about at a networking event. It's not going to work. You're not going to have the time. You want to establish a relationship quickly mm-hmm. to have the second meeting or have the conversation about what you want yeah. to talk to them about. That's the kind of trick. Sometimes, <clears throat> sadly, you might need to extract yourself from a conversation. I've been to many of those. Networking or a party or an event, that's actually relatively easy. The easiest one is, of course, you go need another drink, you need to go to the bathroom. Those are quite easy extractions where you're kind of backing out without saying, you know, and just don't return to the conversation. Rather than saying, I I don't want to talk to you anymore, I'm going to go away. No, but if you can't do that, or there's not a situation that pertains to be able to, to do that, my thing is, it's very simple. You go, it's lovely talking to you, James. I've had a really lovely uh, conversation, but I really need to go and speak to some other people. I'm here to meet someone else as well. Let's stay in touch. I'll I'll chat to you another time, but I just need to go off and speak Mm. to someone else. And people then respect you. They've kind of gone, okay, I know he's here to speak to someone else as well. He said thank you. Move on. And you've not upset anyone's feelings or you've not sort of snuck off yes. and disappeared and not come back. or You've just set your parameters quite clearly. Absolutely. And you've been honest and open about it. But not rude. My trick is never talk to someone about their work. Most people, certainly in a networking event, aren't really there to talk about their work unless they're trying to sell you stuff. Mm-hmm. The distraction it always makes people feel better if you're not talking about work. I uh, went to America once, and Americans, are, as we've said before, quite forthright about meetings and I went to a series of meetings and events and networkings and everyone will go well, what do you want nothing I would say the quizzical look on their face was quite interesting mm. what do you mean you don't want anything I don't want anything I want to get to know you I want to meet you I want to trust you mm-hmm. and then perhaps in the future we'll do some work together and bizarrely it worked they were very confused initially yes <laughs> I've maintained a great deal of friendships even though I'm not in that industry anymore mm-hmm. I don't work with those people but the friendships are still there sure. because I kept that. Yeah, that makes sense. And one of the things I've heard people talk about quite a bit, which is probably a little bit similar to that last example, is where you use almost like a context switch or something that's slightly out of the ordinary or slightly unusual to make sure you stay in their memory. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, usually it's what you do or who you are mm-hmm. or what you say or make some comment or something like that. You make the context switch happen. And again, we talked about this before about your brand image and what you say and what you stand out and how you dress will also make people remember you. Anything like that was good to make in the memory stick. And then when you leave the event or the networking thing, the final tip is to make a note of all the important and key people that you met that evening to make a mental note of them and either if you don't follow up with them immediately but just drop a little piece of paper or in Mm. your notebook or in your diary or something like that and say i met james he does this he's really interesting i'll mark chat with him about that don't write on people's business cards in some cultures it's offensive and also you're kind of defacing their brand Mm -hmm. if you write on the back of someone's business card or write on their business card do it when you get back when your memory is fresh or on the journey or home or something like that just get the business card out if you've got a business card or make a mental note and said, met James, this is what I chatted about this. Quick 30-second note. If I'm going to a networking event, often I'll take my notebook with me. But if not, what I tend to do is stick some index cards in my pocket, just the little 3 by 5 cards, and use those just to jot down the names of the people I, I met. And then what I tend to do is fold them on the business card, pop that in my pocket. As soon as I get home, it gets dropped in my entry process the next morning. We're not president of the United States who have chiefs of starts and aides who will whisper in our ear that the person next to us is General sort of Farthington, Farthington Smythe, and he yes. does this and that and the other. We can make our own mm. aid memoir. Good tip, Zach. Thank you. Bless you, sir. So what are we on to next, then? Let's talk about the devil's trousers, James. Oh, yes. The devil's trousers. That would be pantaloons, denim, or jeans. What we're really talking about is 
Let's dress down Friday. We are, yes. For all we're joking about this, I love jeans. I wear them quite a lot when I'm at home. Some of my clients require casual dress. That's what I tend to wear. But dress down Friday can be tricky. Casual Friday, sometimes called. What can you wear to maintain smartness, to maintain your brand and your image, and also to fit in with that casual look? Dress for guys for normal office day wear is simple and straightforward. You wear a suit. You can wear a good suit, you can wear a bad suit, but you can fit within that code. But Dress Down Friday is a lot more flexible. There's a lot more ambiguity and therefore it's more difficult. Yes, it is. We've mentioned before on the podcast that I don't own a pair of jeans. No, no. (laughs) I haven't owned a pair of jeans for some four or five years now. And Well, the devil's trousers thing we talked about Nick Wing last week, but it's actually a Nick Wing thing. Sure. He told a story about a, a friend of his who was an ex-naval officer who saw, I think it was Nick, wearing jeans and said, What? Mr. Wing? In the devil's trousers. (laughs) (laughs) Magnificent. Yes, it is interesting, actually, that as we talked about last week, I think, about how office wear, public life wear has become more casual since really the turn of the last century. And what we've seen is most men's wear of any type comes from one of three sources. It either comes from sportswear, which is where the design for the current sort of suit jacket was very heavily influenced by the sorts of jackets that were worn by riders and horsemen. It comes from military wear. For example, the tie with cravats worn by Croatian soldiers. Or it's workwear. And workwear really came into its own from the early to mid-20th century through. So that's things like jeans, casual jackets, T-shirts even, all came through. And in some settings, you have some officers which are very casual, you know, especially if you work in social media or in some of the newer IT companies. And I had this with a client in the hospitality industry where if you're not wearing jeans and T-shirt, you're not part of the group. And it's as much a uniform and as much a a rigid dress code as the stuffiest of Swiss banks where they won't let you in if you're not wearing a, a dark suit. When you have to do this dress down Friday, you need to find this mix and walk this line between professionalism and formality and the right level of informality and that's where jeans can be really useful for that because jeans vary very much in smartness from light blue ripped multiple extra pockets slightly baggy informal jeans through to more formal dark indigo smoother cotton more tailored cuts And as with all clothing, generally the darker it gets and the smoother it gets, the more formal it becomes. That's a rule of thumb you can carry to anything. If I'm working with clients who require a dress down Friday or a more casual dress code, that's normally my first port of call. Would either be a pair of chinos or cotton khakis or a pair of jeans. But a formal pair of jeans in a very dark indigo blue, make sure they fit well, make sure they're well tailored and they don't have any rips or extraneous pockets. They're almost like a pair of dark denim trousers. You've got a choice then on what you wear on the top half. And one of my favourite things to wear, in fact, what I'm wearing today to to record the podcast, is a long-sleeve polo shirt. And very delightful it is too. Thank you very much. Maybe not so much now, but certainly the last few years, if you went into any bar in London at between 6 and 7 o'clock on a Friday evening, you would see... Oceans of men dressed in brown brogues, dark blue denim jeans and pink dress shirts. And that was the City of London casual Friday uniform. Yes. That's died away a little bit. You still will see a lot of it. I love a pink shirt. I love a pink shirt with blue jeans. They go really, really well. 
But if you want to be a little bit more unique, show a little bit more of your own style, playing with some of those tropes can be useful. So wearing a, a normal business shirt on a Friday, but just without a tie and matching the jeans or chinos isn't great. It can look good, but generally you want a shirt which is going to fit to the texture and formality of the trousers. If you're wearing jeans, if you're wearing chinos, it's a rougher fabric. It's a less formal cut. For the same reason, you wouldn't wear your smooth worsted business suit with your jeans, but you might wear a tweed jacket or a flannel jacket, something with a bit of texture. You want that also with the shirt. And that's where I really like the pique cotton that you get that polo shirts are made from. It has that nice weave to it, a little bit of what you call lift, that matches well with jeans. You can also look at Oxford cloth. It's not too bad, Oxford cotton, which is the sort of rougher, heavier weight cloth that you sometimes get winter shirts made from and the famous what we call OCBDs, Oxford cloth button-downs, the very traditional American button-down collar shirts that are fantastic. But for my money, a, a long-sleeve polo shirt, something which is cut to be like a shirt, so ideally one with cuffs like a shirt, that's cut in a similar way to a dress shirt with a long tail, so it's designed to be tucked in, but with buttons that only extend partway down the chest, looks really good, still smart, but casual, with jeans or chinos and an odd jacket. So a tweed jacket or a flannel or a hop sack, something like that, linen in the summer. You do find some that are sometimes called popover shirts, which are similar, but they tend to be made of shirt cotton. And I've got a, a few of those. They're not the easiest to find. They're really useful because they look just like normal shirts, but the only button partway down the chest, you don't have a full placket down the front. And they look great, even with a suit. If you're wearing a slightly more casual suit, something with a bit more texture, that can be a really good way to casual up an outfit. And that's often what I'll do if I'm travelling, and I know I'm going to have some formal office days and some informal office days, is I'll take a, a suit with a bit of texture and a bit of lift to it and then pair it with a very smart shirt for the smart days and a tie and with a dress-down shirt for the other days. How about you, Zach? Because I know you do something on Fridays that are a bit unique to you. Which I instilled in the perfect gentleman is Cravat mm. Friday. I love cravats. I've mm. always loved cravats. They're a particularly uh, interesting piece of network. We've mm. talked about them quite a bit on the podcast and also in the magazine across our fields of endeavour. It's smart and casual at the same time. Yes. It sort of adds a little bit of flair and it's just kind of a nice thing to do, cravats. I think that um, they're really good. One thing I was thinking about when you were talking, it's one thing we didn't talk about and haven't mentioned is Shoes. Yes. Good shoes. If you're on casual Friday and you're dressed during the evening jeans, not that I would, but if you're wearing jeans, just put some good shoes on. We come back to, we talked about when we did the suits. Good shoes will make you stand out. Absolutely. I tend not to wear black shoes other than with very formal suits or, or black tie. But generally speaking, I think black shoes are not a great choice for a casual Friday. No. I like brown. The darker they are, the more formal they are. And the smoother they are, the more formal. So if you've got a pair of traditional dark brown leather Oxford shoes, those will be sort of the most formal. And at the other end of the scale, least formal would be something like some tan suede boots or shoes. And depending on where you want to pitch your outfit, you would kind of go along that continuum. Two things that I really like are sort of mid-brown brogues, which is, again, what I'm wearing today, is boots rather than shoes, or monk shoes, which are buckled shoes. And they're ideal, especially for travelling, because they can go with a relatively formal suit because they're shiny and smooth and can be well-polished. But also, because they don't have laces and they're buckled, they're a little bit less formal, so can work quite well with dark jeans and an odd jacket. Even if you don't want to wear jeans like you Zach and I know quite a few people don't and chinos are great for the summer or for warmer climes but this time of year in the UK that's not what you want to be wearing 
simple grey flannels. They work really well. You can wear brown flannels, tan. I tend to stay away from blue just because it makes it look like you're wearing one half of a suit. Blue trousers are problematic to match with other things. But if you can do that, flannels make really good dressed down trousers because of that texture. And they're very comfortable. The moment I have heavy cotton trousers on, I have quite a few cord for the autumn and the fall. Like, But the last word on this subject, mm. we might have to go to Captain Bird, a lovely gentleman who, when he was a city man, ex-army officer, very pucker, very proper. We discussed Dress Down Friday with him once. And he was, Zach, Dress Down Friday? Dress Down Friday? Tweed, sir. Tweed is Dress Down Friday. Yes, absolutely. Moving on. Well, as you've probably noticed, as we've been talking, we're a little bit more animated. That's because we're very well caffeinated. And do you want to explain why? The lovely Lucy at Zigzag Teas mm. sent us some samples of her teas. Now, there's a little story behind this. Mm-hmm. There's a lovely lady called Susie who is Etiquette Ottawa on Twitter. And we've been communicating on Twitter for a while. And she sent me a message saying, oh, I met this fantastic lady on a flight to Greece and she does tea. And I thought you should connect with her because you're always talking about tea. Okay, thank you very much. We did connect. I thought she was in Canada or Greece. No, she's in London. Lucy from Zigzag is in London. We communicated and she sent us some lovely samples of some of her fabulous tea. Now, Lucy is backed by the Prince's Trust, which is a fantastic organisation here in the UK, which is run by Prince of Wales. He supports young people in business endeavours. And Lucy from Zigzag is one of the Prince's Trust stories. And we had some of their teas. We tried two Teas today. Two teas today, and we've got the further review in the magazine, but we tried the English breakfast and the cocoa chai. Which was my favourite, I've got to say. It was pretty lovely, wasn't it? It was. So tell us about the English breakfast, first of all, Zach. What did you think of that? I thought it was lovely. Very fruity. Mm-hmm. For an English breakfast tea, it was particularly fruity. It was very strong, for, as, as an English breakfast should be. Had a lovely tingle on the tongue. Mm-hmm. It had a really nice fruity taste to it, which was kind of different for an English breakfast tea. Yes. It was really good. Would I drink it all the time? Yeah, I think I probably would drink it. It's a breakfast tea, the first mm. tea. I think it would go well with a nice full English breakfast. I think so. And for me, I, I tend to struggle sometimes with English breakfast tea because I don't take milk in my tea. And so sometimes I find them a bit too strong or a bit too heavy on the tannins. But that was really nice. It was that raspberry, sort of dark berries, fruitiness to it that you don't normally get. You sometimes get that with coffees, mm. but not normally with teas that I found. Probably a little stronger than I would normally drink, but... Absolutely delicious. I would definitely have that again. Tell us about the cocoa chai. So the cocoa chai was fantastic. As the name suggests, has this chocolate taste and smell to it, which is unbelievable. Literally, as soon as the water hit the tea, all you could smell was dark chocolate. It was a lighter than the English breakfast tea, as you would expect, a little bit sweeter, and it's an enjoyable, drinkable tea that you could imagine sitting at your desk, getting on with some work, maybe a spot of cake, but normally I'd have sugar. With that, I didn't need any sugar at all. It was so flavourful. Chocolate taste combined with the, the quite gentle tea was perfect. It was fantastic. I loved it. And there's a little toasted coconut to mm. it as well. It was kind yes. of that little coconut edge to yes, it as well. Was, yeah. It was a beautiful tea, as you said. But you and I are both big fans of cigars. It was, mm. It's a perfect cigar tea as well. Absolutely. Because it had that little edge of sweetness to it, but it wasn't overpowering. What a great tea. We have two more teas. There's a chamomile and a uh, green tea, which we will sample. We're not going to tell you about the podcast. You have to read the magazine for our reviews of the teas. Lucy from Zigzag Tea sent us. Thank you, Lucy. Greatly appreciate 
appreciated. So if you want to look at the magazine at theperfectgentleman.tv and you can find the rest links to the magazine on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, The Perfect Gentleman, on all of those. Uh, if you have any comments or you want to send us something for us to review, drop us a line at enquiries at theperfectgentleman.tv. And if I wanted to get some zigzag tea, where would I it's go? the website. So well, zigzag tees. Zigzag tees. Google zigzag tees and you can find it. Excellent. And the other thing, I met the lovely chaps who run Quiet Rebellion Socks. That's a great name. Alex Miles from Quiet Rebellion, and he sent, kindly sent me a pair of socks to try. You'll have to look at the photographs on the social media for those. They're really interesting. So it's unusual for me, because as you well know, James, I like my bright socks. You do? All my socks are coloured socks. All statement socks. All statement socks. But these are interesting statement socks. Above the ankle, they're black, and below the ankle... They're bonkers. Hence the quiet rebellion. If you have to be stayed at work and sensible yes. and, and you're above the ankle is black and traditional and uh, your feet below can sing and dance in brightly coloured <laughs> brightly coloured lights and I think they're lovely they're very comfortable socks they're really nice nice cotton mix they're just a beautiful sock I personally would like it reversed but that's just me I like the statement I want yeah. the boldness I think they're lovely they're delightful a bold addition to the sock world Quiet Rebellion well done sir Excellent. That sounds great. And if I wanted to find those? QuietRebellion.com, I think it is. Excellent. Gosh, that's, we've, we've flown through today. It's all the caffeine. It's all the caffeine, exactly. Bzzzed, buzzed through. Yeah. James, always a pleasure. And you, my friend. And uh, I'll talk to you next week. I'll talk to you next week. This podcast is brought to you by The Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nickel at the Pistachio Palace.